James Campion is our guest, the author of Why, and he is back with his new book called... Shout It Out Loud, The Story of Kiss's Destroyer and the Making of an American Icon. And why did you want to write this book? Because I'm nuts. <laughs> yeah? Uh, well, it took me three years of my life, so yes, I am nuts. Um, it started with an article I wrote in 2001 when I found out that Kiss was not the rock band Kiss. Remember them kids when we had record albums yes. and we flipped them around and a needle went on it? Um, I was 13 when this record, Destroyer, came out. So I remember very fondly, and I used to get into debates with other music journalists, friends of mine, about great rock records from the 70s. And, of course, Kiss always got the short shrift. They always got um, diminished because of the makeup and the theatrics and the merchandising. But interestingly enough, there was some, that was their real seminal record. It had the hit song Beth on it, which is a ballad, which wasn't really there. So I wrote this article for the Huffington Post, why isn't Kiss in the Hall of Fame? I didn't realize that they weren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I got so much feedback from this. I got so much, yeah, go get them. And I didn't realize a lot of people in the industry were also lobbying for them and thought it was outrageous and how they were being sort of boycotted just for their, again, their theatrics and their merchandising. And so I pitched the idea of writing about this one record, which I consider like their Sgt. Peppers, for all you Beatle fans out there, and to a publishing company in London called Continuum, and they do a series of books called 33 and a Third, which is a celebration of a particular record that's great. They hadn't had a Kiss one. So they said, sure, let's do this. And those are basically glorified essays. They're about 75 to 100 pages, and you write them and, you know, just kind of talk about the record. But once I started to interview people around the band that worked on the record, people from the 70s and everything, I realized it was a much bigger story. So I was very, very lucky to hook up with Backbeat Books, which is a subsidiary of Hal Leonard Incorporated, which do a lot of music publishing all around the world. So they were a huge help as I finished the book, getting me the lyrics, um, the rights to them, working with Kiss and getting source material. So it's a long story. It was a long journey, but it's so great to have it out now and have not only Kiss fans, but fans of music, the 1970s, rock and everything, enjoy it. So it was a, it was a labor of love, and I'm enjoying having it out now. All right. It was just a year ago Kiss was in the Thanksgiving Parade in New York City. Yes, yes they were. And that's the amazing thing about it. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because even though the the record is sort of anachronistic. It's of the 70s. It sounds like, if you put it on, it just reeks of the 70s. It also has survived. A lot of the songs on that record, like Shout It Out Loud, which we named the book after, you, that's been used a lot in TV commercials and in uh, cartoons. There was a new Kiss cartoon with Scooby-Doo, another American icon. So I'm trying to make the point in the book that Kiss is sort of more than just a rock band. They've, they've become icons in a, in a comic book sense, in a in a film sense, in a merchandising sense. So it is a sort of a celebration of the 1970s, but it's also a celebration of the fact that the band, as you mentioned with the Thanksgiving Day Parade, they're still kind of out there. Gene and Paul, uh, two of the original members, still kind of run it out there, and they do concerts and they do TV appearances. They had a TV show. They bought a arena football team out in Los Angeles. So they're still kind of in the zeitgeist, and I, I also talk about that, that, that in the book, about how they're still kind of relevant today, which is amazing. Forty years ago, wow. in 1976, that record came out, March of 1976, and people still love it. A lot of KISS fans do. Now, let's ask about the makeup and the theatrics. All that was premeditated. By whom and why? It was by them. They decided to do it. Uh, Bob Gruen, who is a iconic photographer in, in himself, I interviewed dozens of people that were around KISS at the time, everybody who worked on the record, lots of quotes from the band as well. 
Uh, Bob Gruen, who took the famous photograph of John Lennon with the New York City shirt that everybody sees everywhere, and so many other iconic photos of the clash and everything, he told me something right from the beginning. He said, I was there at the beginning. Kiss wanted to be the New York Dolls. And I don't know if any of your listeners remember the New York Dolls, which never really made it. They were sort of a New York phenomenon. They used to dress up as women, and uh, these guys. And they tried to be shocking in that sort of 1970s um, hydrogenous, uh, you know, pansexual way that was going on then. And But Kiss, these guys were not attractive. <laughs> they were very mad. They were all big and thick. Hairy. And, yes, hairy. So they decided they were going to do makeup, but instead of making them look feminine or more beguiling, they decided to become kabuki monsters. So they used the kabuki makeup, and they decided that would get them noticed in a period of time in the early 70s, especially in New York, where it was really hard to kind of latch on. So that was their real appeal at the beginning. And unfortunately for them, it kind of became, or fortunately because they became famous for it, it, people just looked at the makeup and the theatrics and they kind of ignored the music. So that was also their blessing and also their curse. Right. Surely made them unforgettable, though, at least visually in your mind. Absolutely. Now, what were some of the surprise factors for you as you set out to explore this record and this book? What, what took your breath away? Well, number one, on the, first of all, all the different chapters talk about every aspect of promoting the grassroots way of promoting creating a record in the 1970s. The thing that really floored me, and one of the reasons why I went from writing basically a glorified essay for Continuum and decided to put out a full 300-plus page book on one record, is that I got to talking to a lot of the guys that worked at the old Record Plant East on West 44th Street in Hell's Kitchen. This was a state-of-the-art, one of the best recording facilities on the planet at the time. Uh, it opened in 1968 and was purchased by Roy Sakala, who recently passed away in 1971, and it, it, it recorded some of the seminal records of the 1970s. It was, it was a state-of-the-art studio where Kiss recorded this record. When I got to talking to some of the guys who worked on that record, Jay Messina, the lead engineer who recorded John Lennon and uh, you know, Aerosmith and worked with dozens of artists and all these other guys, Bob Ezrin, who produced the record, who produced The Wall by Pink Floyd, and all the Alice Cooper stuff in the 70s, still works today, Bob. Legend in the industry. When these guys started to sh- tell me about all the things they had to do back then that you don't do now with Pro Tools and MacBook, and you could record a whole album in your living room. They had to go to the state-of-the-art studio with microphones and amps and using rooms and putting the drums in an elevator shaft to get a big sound and miking the amps from like from the ceiling and then all these different sound effects. I was so fascinated and floored by that. But I really this book is a tribute and an honor to them for their hard work. Guys behind the scenes who didn't get the millions and didn't get gold records and platinum records and who didn't get to be on TV shows. Those guys worked so hard for so many great artists that it was so um, fulfilling for me to get to tell their stories. So that was the thing, is the stories behind the stories that really make that book, I think, jump out. And it made me want to finish it and honor them. Wonderful. And will Kiss ever be honored in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They were. They did okay. get in. And I think I, on a very small, small scale, I think my, my article piled on with other people's uh, petitioning, got them in. I want to say 2013. I, I, it, it's all a blur now, Casey. Okay. But I think it was 2013. So they're finally in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I hope this book will solidify them in a sense where people think them beyond just how we know them right. and, you know, with the makeup and the theatrics. And so, have uh, they read your book? As far as I know, I, uh, not yet. 
some people around them have. Uh, it's just, it came out in early October, so it's still kind of percolating out there. I'm sure they will get it eventually. My mom, you know, is my biggest fan. She's like, I don't know how these guys wouldn't love this. It makes them look so artistic and so creative. But, you know, those guys also, they're, the way they think about things is, hey, you know, this guy is making money off of our legacy, but really I really wanted to write a, a history book and give them their, their due. So I hope I did that. Great. Anything else our listeners need to know? You can purchase the thing uh, anywhere, wherever good books are sold, uh, and even in places like Walmart and, and in Target and things like that, Amazon, obviously. And uh, i love to hear from you. Uh, we have a Facebook page for it, the Shout It Out Loud Facebook page, and we also have uh, my website. Love to get feedback and hear what you guys have to say about it. Uh, not only KISS fans, but fans of rock music and pop culture. It was a blast to do it, and you know, promoting it this way is a lot of fun. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for having me on. 